I can't imagine being from here, growing up here, spending my whole life here and being a fan of a team 2,500 miles away and not being able to share that energy and that moment with the people that I see every single day. I broke up with my ex-girl. Here's a number. Psych, that's the wrong number. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. This is another episode of the Scoped Exposure podcast. We go from the C-A-N-A-D-A to the P-A to the D. There's a lot of letters there, but I'm really excited to be welcoming uh, Matt from Gridiron onto the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So um, for for those that have been living under a rock, um, you know, Gridiron just put out uh, its debut LP um, off Triple B Records, No Good at Goodbyes. Um, I think it's it's very early in the year, but I think it's fair to say, at least for me, that this is within my top 10 records uh, for 2022. Been on constant repeat and, um, you know, friend of the show, uh, Molly, who's come on a number of times. Uh, we had him on uh, a second time for season two of the podcast right when, uh, I think it was right after you guys did did the despise split and so we were talking about the band and the formation but this feels the right time to hit up another member of the band um and i feel like the lyrical side of gridiron is super um foundational and relevant so i'm really excited to be chatting with you and and uh again appreciate your time awesome yeah thanks no problem so um matt before we get into the music chats it's a tradition here on the podcast to check some beverages to kind of like break the ice you know get a couple liquids flowing so tell me what you're going to be bringing for the show uh as far as beverages are concerned well there's to me there's only one beverage that exists and that beverage is diet coke okay good yeah, check. We, uh diet coke running through the veins at all time i've been waited to open it i'm gonna crack it right now please do um why have you just been diet coke uh since day one or what's the what's yeah, the lore the, there it's the superior soda i used to uh be a really big mountain dew guy okay but after uh like reading the nutritional facts and stuff i realized it's probably not great to be a big mountain dew guy so i uh, made the switch to a healthier alternative diet coke so mm. and uh like do you uh treat yourself at all and do like regular coke or coke zero at all or is it is it always mm you know, uh, always diet. It's diet Coke army through and through. Okay. Yeah. I never, I never switch sides with, with it. Yeah. So, okay. Um, you know, now I I'm just very fascinated because it, it's such a simple beverage, but you seem to have a lot of passion behind it. So when you're in that situation where you're at a restaurant and they're like, Oh, we only have Pepsi products. Like, are you turning the tables over or like, how are you navigating those situations? See, so sometimes I'll go back and dance with the devil and have a myself a Mountain Dew. Okay, <laughs> but that's always dangerous. So, uh, so I can't do Diet Pepsi. I don't like Diet Pepsi. So I'll usually just opt for water. And if they don't, you know, if I don't go with the Mountain Dew, I'll uh, I'll keep it extra healthy mm -hmm. on that meal. Yeah. So loyalty for the Diet Coke seems very um, prevalent to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that that's a great pick. I I respect. Um, it's always funny because some sometimes I just assume everyone knows what a bev check is, and then they're like, "What do you mean by that?" I'm like, "Oh, just like bring a beverage to the show." Um, but you know, I I have mad respect for people that are like they know what they're bringing, they know, and they know why they're bringing it versus like it was just right. it was just in my fridge. Um, right. What I'm doing bev wise is. Um, uh, Matt, I'm probably you're probably unaware, but we have a couple beverage sponsors for our podcast, actually. So there's a brewery here in town called New Level, and I picked up my monthly flat from them, and I haven't tried this yet. So this is their Guava Lord. So it's kind of like a pale ale style, but it's got guava in it. So I'm going to try and see how that works. You know, we were talking at the top of the show of some cool um, flavor or scent combinations. So 
I'm kind of curious on what what this you know not a little bit fancier than than your diet coke, but um you know not not too off the beaten path. I hope. Yeah, I mean guava. I'm not I'm not a big IPA guy. I'm a I'm a light beer or like a lager man. But Got you. I do I, you know that that looks like a nice uh, refreshing summertime sipper right there. Yeah, well, especially living in Canada, we're like just getting out of the like um the snow kind of times thankfully um but other other than that cheers to you matt really excited to be doing this podcast with you bro excited um is is it is it a requirement for everyone in gridiron to be team diet coke or is that like uh are you on an island i think kind of by default everyone is team diet coke and maybe that's why the chemistry is so good that uh (laughs) You know, we're all on the same page with the Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. Um, Molly is mainly a, a water guy, but uh, you know, Bill, Jake, and myself, and I, uh, I believe Xavier is a Diet Coke head too. So yeah, we're all for the most part pretty much on the same page with the DC. I feel like most bands need to be on the same page with uh, with anything beverage wise. Um, I know, I know, my band uh, we're we're big Red Bull um, people and. Uh, we have a tradition for every show that someone buys a four pack and then like that person also has to give like a little, you know, pep talk before our set. Um, but it kind of circles of, of like, oh, you got classic or, oh, you got, you know, tropical this time around. So I think all the, all the people in the different bands listening need to have that talk with their band of like, what, what kind of beverage band are we? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Matt, um, for first timers, uh, for our on our podcast, I always like to get a little bit of context about how they got into heavy music. Uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about the new record, and uh, I guess your role in it and how it all came to be. But let's get just some context about you about how you got on the beaten path of um, breakdowns and um, you know two step riffs and all that kind of stuff. However, you want to explain it, uh, take us way back in time, uh, and uh, you know you can do the super. Uh, super long version or the elevator pitch, how, whatever length you want to set. Sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I grew up having two older brothers and, uh, they were always like really into hip hop. And so ever growing up it, as like a young kid and my brothers are like four and six years older than me. So when I was in elementary school, they were like old enough to get like rap records and stuff like that. So they'd always give me the CDs And this was like, I either burn a CD or I'd like find a radio station and uh, get a blank cassette tape and put it in my cassette player and like hit record when it was playing, when like a song I liked was playing on the radio or whatever Mm. and uh, would record it. And I'd make like my own mixtapes. So like I grew up listening to hip hop uh, primarily. And then uh, in high school, I ended up being friends with a couple of the guys from Agitator and uh, they were into heavy music at the time. Mm. And I didn't really know too much about it at the time. I was just like kind of a rap guy. And, uh, you know, the more I became friends with them, you know, I'd hear them talking about shows and stuff like that. And I, at first I wouldn't go with them because I was like, oh, I don't, you know, screaming stuff's not for me, you know, or whatever. And then uh, Marty from Agitator actually had a show in his barn at his parents' house. And I was like, you know what, everyone's, everyone else is going, so I'm going to go. So I went and, um, it ended up being awesome. You know what I mean? And that, that was my first experience was in a barn in the middle of like rural Pennsylvania. So that's kind of what, you know, turned me into hardcore. And then ever since then, it's been, you know, going to as much as I can, you know, participating as much as I can, stuff like that. But yeah, they were, uh, so basically meeting up with them in high school and them kind of putting me on to hardcore and stuff is how I got involved with it initially. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it it's, it's always important for me to hear that. Cause you know, everyone's got, uh, similarities, but like, I, I feel like there have been a lot of people that have come on that have said like, yeah, I listen. I was listening to heavy music, but I was also listening to things like rap and hip hop, but it sounded like you were actually like, fully in that world and then it was only within um just being in the circle of friends where you're like well my friends are doing this i might as well check it out and then once having that in-person reaction to it you're like okay now i get it 
Right. And then I was able to like, you know, kind of discover bands, um, you know, like E-Town for existence, you know, it's like, wow, like, you know, the two things can coexist into one and it's incredible. You know, mm. it's the two things that I love the most formed into one thing, yeah. you know? So that's, that's stuff like that is what really sold me on hardcore. You know, it's like E-Town and Downset and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I always found when I was getting more into it that I was like, I only found out like it, I made connections of like, oh, it does make sense. The the similarities between hardcore and like the hip hop world, especially with a lot of like the features that is just like so commonplace. But was that just like so apparent the minute that you like started to dig yourself? Like, oh, like there's similarities here that maybe other people aren't seeing and they think it's right. only a hardcore thing or only a, a hip hop thing. And especially with like underground hip hop, because hardcore obviously is like an underground niche thing. Yeah. And, you know, hip hop to a point, you know, once you get outside of what you hear on the radio and stuff like that is exactly the same thing. And so those two, you know, subcultures tend to intersect way more than I thought they did, you know, prior to understanding both of them. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, um, wh who were some of like the initial like big hip hop and 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 rap artists that you were listening to just kind of prior to to getting into hardcore that like really were foundational for you going into that extra subgenre? So I love um, like the first CD I ever bought. Uh, I went to like a CD store at the mall and bought the Locks uh, Money Power Respect. And the only reason I bought it is because my mom let me go in by myself and I was too young to buy CDs with the parental advisory sticker like, oh, okay. or printed on the, but this one had a sticker. So I walked in the back of the store and peeled the parental advisory sticker off <laughs> and went up and bought the CD. I had no idea who they, who was, uh -huh. you know what I mean? So I bought this and then I put it in my CD player and I was, this is the coolest thing ever, which is, you know, like Jada kiss and stuff like that. So I, you know, really, really like, like the, you know, early to mid nineties, New York stuff, like big L and the locks and D block. I, you know, my brother would let me borrow his uh, DMX flesh of my flesh CD. So that was like a huge one for me. Mm. And then, I mean, DMX is a great example. Like you feel the aggression in his lyrics and his delivery and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously when it comes to hardcore, you feel that a lot too, you know, coming out of bands. Totally. So um, you were, you're saying the parental advisory sticker, was that like an actual, like, oh, no one over the age of... 14 or 15 can can buy this because i would imagine yeah, I that like if you peel off the sticker they scan it into the system and then it it would probably come up as something like that but maybe yeah. maybe that technology didn't exist when you were doing <laughs> yeah. that that back in the day yeah. yeah but yeah they uh because most of them were printed on the cover right. this one was just a sticker on the cover so i could peel that sticker off the front and i ended up getting it so that is so sick <laughs> just like going into the back yeah. and just ripping it off and be like it's, hey yeah, I, like I found this random, when i saw it man sorry yeah it's like the most random first cd to ever get but i mean it probably you know absolutely shaped me and like molded me into what kind of music i would grow up listening to right yeah it, it like my background um kind of before music was definitely more in like you know playing video games um and doing a lot of that so there was like a lot of formative games that i had to go around to eventually get because it had like that m-rated label right. and coming from like a christian background it's like my parents are like there's no way they're gonna get this i was like well i'm gonna get my friend at school to go and buy and then do that and um but very uh very funny that just I'm 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 seeing just little little Matt in the corner just ripping it off and being like I got this yeah. and and not like you're like this is the record for me you're just like I want something uh, to chew right. on right and I and I saw that you know obviously you always want what you can't have you know and I saw something I saw an opportunity and I jumped on it you know totally. and it ended, you know ended up being maybe a life changer as far as music goes so mm -hmm. so fast forwarding kind of getting back up to um up to speed so you go to that barn show um with your friends and agitator um what was kind of like were you like trying to figure out how to play in your own band right away or you're like i still need to kind of like 
learn the ropes and kind of like do my own digging before I'm doing that. I'm just kind of curious on the track record for you and how fast that started. So after that show, it made me want more, you know what I mean? It made me want to see more and, and stuff like that. And I believe one of the next shows, like when I first started going around the shows, it was like the era where like cold world was playing here every single weekend uh mongoloids were playing here every single weekend mother mercy let down you know both those bands were playing every single weekend so i think one of my next shows was you know i think it might have been uh it was like the have heart blacklisted ceremony letdown tour okay in new jersey and um that show was obviously insane and then that was like the show that was like okay i'm all in on this mm, yeah yeah there's definitely like I think everyone has a big like monumental show that kind of like galvanizes or cements like this is the shit I want to do forever (laughs) or at least like for a long, long, long time. Um, And usually it's like a bigger tour package, a band's last show, a reunion show, like something that actually like is very like it it has a, a huge community aspect as far as a lot of people showing up but it's just like the energy in the room is just infectious right so um so you do that show you start to do that like have you always been a lyricist and doing vocals or were you picking up guitar drums bass um tell me about that um i can't play any instruments but i've always been like you know before hardcore i always would like write like rap lyrics and stuff just in a notebook. And like, I have a few songs recorded. I never put them out, but it was just always something that I kind of just did to do. Um, but yeah, as far as instruments go, I can't play any instruments. I played bass uh, for like three shows uh, with Molly's old band, uh, okay. probably in like 2011 or something like that. And nice. I sucked. I was literally the worst. And there was like one song that started out with like just the bass and I would fuck it up every single time <laughs> and like look back and look at like the pure disgust on Tyler's face. So that's what made me realize like, you know what, ba- you know, guitars, not for me. Yeah. So then, then we, uh, we sold the bass equipment and, and the jerseys and the rafters now. So <laughs> That's fair. So I think something that's interesting too is that like I think there there was a time where it was like yeah there's like bands like E Town that are like known for that style of the more rap in- influence lyrics, but the that style of vocals at, at least from the the world that I came in, like some people would almost like clown on it to a degree of like oh you're like rapping on this like heavy metal track like what's going are you trying to be e-town it's like it, it was only it seems that like at that at the time and this is going back like maybe 10 or 15 years ago but like at the time it was like oh like there's only bands that are allowed to do that but that just can't be a common thing within hardcore it needs to be the gnarliest screams or like rhythm rhythmic style of, of vocals was wasn't as embraced as it is today so right as that was your background and quote unquote, your bread and butter, like how did you navigate that? Did you push against that? And, or did you just like, maybe I'll just do this and just like sprinkle it in slightly. Um, it was one of those things. Like when gridiron first started, my first text to will was write some music that I can rap on, mm. you know? So it, it, it's one of those, like there's bands like E-Town, but then there's also bands like crutch who has a very like, hip-hop-esque delivery to them but they're not like when you listen to him you wouldn't you would never be like oh he's rapping right you know what i mean so there there's a very fine line i think when it comes to that style of vocals and that style of music to you know you can fall on one side or you can fall on the other very easily Mm. and you know that's obviously something that i've kept in mind you know while doing this band yeah so yeah let's just talk about the very origin because like gridiron like i think when i can't remember it was on the band socials on yours or maybe someone else's but i saw the screenshot of the text message being like yo i have like it's burning in me to do some kind of e-town kind of band um so was that an initial idea when like things were really slowing down pandemic wise or has this been like an idea of yours like for years and years and years and it only has uh manifested within the last few this was it was always something that i wanted to do like it was always an idea that i had like oh it would be really cool to do a band that sounds like this Mm -hmm. and um 
Will and I, during the middle of the pandemic, uh, would play Call of Duty together for sometimes like 12 plus hours in a day. Mm. And it was just like, that's all we did. Like, that's all you could do. You know what I mean? It's like, it was the only way that you could feel like you were like hanging with the boys is, you know, if you were playing video games together. So it got to a point where I felt like I was kind of getting a little bit burnt out on playing video games all the time. <laughs> so I just asked him, I was like, yo, let's just write a couple songs and, you know, we'll just do something for fun. We don't even have to put it out. You know, I just want something else to do. Mm. And uh, he was on board. So he wrote the songs and then uh, sent them over to me. And then I wrote lyrics to him and then uh, sent them back to him. And then we kind of had like a revelation that we're like, this could be pretty cool if we actually record it. Right. You know, so, so then we ended up, you know, wanting to record it. So then I asked Molly and uh, Jake if... And uh, actually, Mike from Neverending Game was going to be the other guitarist. Oh, okay. Uh, initially, mm. initially, but um, he lives in California, so like it came to the point where we discussed like if we ever did play shows, like logistically, it would just be really tough. Mm-hmm. You know, having an extra person across the country, you know, to have to fly in or whatever. So, um, yeah, we recorded it in Philly, and then Will. Uh, recorded the guitars in Michigan and sent them over to us in Philly. And then it kind of got all put together that way. Yeah. And then later, once we, you know, started getting shows and playing and stuff like that, then we, uh, we asked our boy Xavier to, if he wanted to join up too. Mm-hmm. So uh, just like breaking down the, the expectation. Cause it was like, we're just playing call of duty. It's like getting a little old. Cause we're like, you know, three, four, five, six months in at that point, And, you know, uh, team Deathmatch or whatever. I'm more of a halo person. So I don't know all like the current matches and, and types right. uh, for call of duty, but like doing that after a while, it's like, okay, we have to do this. But I like how you said, like, we, it was more just like to do something, not to like, let's do this new band that has all this new level of responsibility. Like the, the expectation was literally at the bottom of the, of the barrel. And then it was right. like, so when you said there was a revelation of like, this could actually be something like, what was that? Was it like a specific song or a mix that came back and you're like, Oh, like we, we could have something here. Like, so we, so like when everything was recorded, we listened to him. We were like, um, it's something that is fresh. Like it's something that doesn't really sound like anything that's happening right now. Right. And, uh, I think, I think all in all, uh, all the songs just turned out cooler than we had expected maybe, or, you know, it, it was just, you know, we never thought we were going to play a show. We never thought we were going to, you know, even put out a tape, you know, and now, you know, we just put out the LP and stuff so it all happened very fast but it also happened very like stress-free which Mm -hmm. was awesome yeah you know that that's like one thing that this that like red iron really prides itself on it's just like all vibes no stress you know it's just it's supposed to be being in a band is supposed to be fun so it's like one of those things that like you know always make sure that like it never gets to the point where it's not fun because if it gets to the point where it's not fun then what's the point you know yeah, there is a very strange balance and it's different for everyone of like hard work and being able to prove yourself. Like it's the same thing with this podcast. Like we're on almost at 200 episodes and there's definitely been a lot of episodes that I've done that are like really, really fun and I'm enjoying that. But sometimes it's like I need to have an episode and I, I, I'm doing a favor for this person and, and those right. kind of things. But I I feel like it needs to be you know, if it's, if it's, um, if you're splitting the efforts, it should be 51% having fun and 49%, you know, having to buckle down and get to work on different things for sure. Versus having it like, I'm really only having 20% of fun being in this band and it's 80% work. Right now it, it's a little more, you know, obviously at this point it's more serious than it was, you Mm -hmm. know, a year ago. But, you know, ultimately the the values and the goal is still exactly the same, you yeah. know. How So how, and, and I kind of feel that in the same vein, it's like my band was like, oh yeah, we're just going to play some local stuff. And then it's like, 
oh shit, like we're, you know, we're getting to play hold your ground fest with you guys, uh, in September, which is dope. Um, and, and just a, a, a plethora of other cool things that have hit our plates. So like, how do you, like, it sounds like you said the mission is still the same to have it be low stress, to have it be maxed, maxed out vibes, but like, what are the actual like practical things you do to like, to, to keep that mission, um, high in the sky? Um, we all, you know, we all have a part, uh, in everything. Like, you know, I go to Will for a lot of stuff because, you know, with never ending game and stuff like that, like Will has dealt with certain things before that maybe I haven't dealt with, Sure. uh, you know, as far as art stuff goes, like Molly is the goat. So, you know, guy, he has that covered, you know, so we all kind of have our own responsibilities and stuff like that. And, you know, everything just kind of works and it works effortlessly, which is, you know, a really nice bonus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all the, all the actual responsibilities don't fall on one person and then everyone else exactly. just gets to run wild. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I never really asked bands like, um, you know, what, like naming your band, like what went into that? But I think the one thing that I've, anytime I've talked about gridiron, people are like, you know, that's just football. So was that intentional when you guys were naming the band or was that more of like a, Oh, right. That that's another term for that because it's always funny. Yeah, it like Googling you guys is like, Oh, gridiron band. Oh, like I have to band camp and go like a little bit more specific versus just coming up with the, with the band name itself. Yeah. I mean, when, when Will and I discussed band names, uh, we both like football probably too much. So <laughs> we were like, well, this like, is related to football and it sounds pretty cool. So mm -hmm. yeah, we'll just use that. So that's, that's pretty much, there wasn't much thought that went into it, but that was the thought that went into it. Mm -hmm. No, it, it, it is, it is cool. Cause I, I like it. I like how hardcore bands can just kind of prioritize like what actually, like what actually sounds dope. And then if there is a connection to something outside of that, then that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, right. I know like, I've watched a lot of your guys's, you know, sets that have gone online and just seen different stuff. And you seem to like, like rock a lot of different teams when it comes to, when it comes to football. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm just like a Jersey guy. Like yeah. I love jerseys. <laughs> now there's obviously specific teams that I won't, that'll never touch my body. Okay. Like the Dallas Cowboys will never wear a Cowboys Jersey. <laughs> you know, we'll never wear, I'm, I'm a diehard Eagles fan. I'm Philadelphia sports. For know. sure unfortunately to a fault, mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, I just like, you know, there's a lot of specific players and stuff like that, that I like that I'll wear their Jersey as long as they're on a team that I don't consider an enemy of mine. So, <laughs> um, you guys have never played, uh, Texas yet. No. Okay. I got some things to say when we do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's always that, like, I feel like when bands will hit a certain, um city that a person who who's got a sports background will either say like fuck this team or like you know the band will like wear the local shirt or whatever but i feel right. like it's always hit or miss of like it actually does good or bad for the set at right times. <laughs> i don't know i don't know if you have any thoughts on that or you're like I, no i'm gonna take any opportunity i can to no to there's i mean the even Cowboys. when like when like e-town played this is hardcore you know he they took a shot at the Eagles cause you know, he's giants fan and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's all in good fun. Like if a Cowboys fan was in a band that I liked and you know, he was here talking shit, like that's what you're supposed to do. You know <laughs> sure. what I mean? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go outside if I liked the band, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, this is a sports related question, but I am curious on your take. Um, I, I, there's, there's someone I look, I look up to that, that had a take where it's like, if you don't cheer for your home team, then you don't appreciate the process of like the grind and the buildup versus just like jumping on like whatever hype team is there. Um, have you always just been an Eagles fan or do you have any thoughts around that when it comes to like cheering for your home team and, and the climb that is like, you know, if you're like a New York uh, Jets fan, you know, the team sucks, but the actual like climb as they grow, like I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts on that. I could not agree more with them. I think you should support and represent the sports teams where you're born and raised. And I don't think there's any excuse in my opinion to like any other team. Now, 
I'm sure there are outliers that actually make sense to most people, but they just don't make sense to me. Mm. Like, you know, Eagles, for instance, you know, they've went over 50 years without winning a Super Bowl. And it's like every year, everyone around here just has their hopes build up, build up, build up. And they just get shot down year after year after year. And it's just like misery, constant misery. And then you have the Eagles Super Bowl year. And it's something that like you can't put into words like how it felt around the city when they won the Super Bowl. Like there's nothing that will ever top like every everyone was everyone's best friend on that day. Like, <laughs> right. you know, everyone, you know, all everyone holding doors for each other, high fiving, like people crying. I mean, it's just it was truly insane. And it's like I can't imagine being from here, growing up here, spending my whole life here and being a fan of a team 2,500 miles away and not being able to share that energy in that moment with the people that I see every single day. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I, I think it you can clearly tell when someone has like flipped and flopped versus like, no, I've actually cheered for this team for 20 years or, or 50 years right. or whatever it is. It makes all the, it makes all the pain worth it the day the pain stops mm -hmm. pretty much, you know? And, and I haven't thought about it this way, but it's kind of the same, like, you know, like it's, it's obvious that you ride for your own scene, um, in, in the hardcore space. Um, but yeah, like there are some people that will like, oh, like it's, it's totally fine to have friends in other scenes and be like, yeah, I really want to support this neighboring scene or things like that. But to have that as your like primary versus where you're actually based is right. a little weird at times for sure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and we are, as far as hardcore goes in Philly, we are so spoiled, you know, with everything that like Joe and, and Bob does for the scene and stuff. It's like, why would you want to go anywhere else? For <laughs> you know, every, any, anything you would ever want to see is coming here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, we are very fortunate in that sense. And, you know, we're fortunate in the sense that we have New York city an hour and a half North and we have Baltimore an hour and a half South mm. and, you know, DC's right there. Boston's right there. So, you know, we're kind of in the sweet spot where we're not missing anything yeah. around here. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> because you brought up uh, Philly, uh, this this wasn't on my uh, to to talk about list, but I think it just kind of is coming top of mind now. So, so your guys's first show was that Philly barbecue, um, and I had like heard through friends of friends whether it was either Molly or uh, I know Davin from March for Life uh, when she right. was living uh, back there um, before she moved to New York was just saying it was just like an absolute shit show at, at some moments. Uh, I don't know if you have any personal anecdotes of like how that, how that went, because I, I felt for you guys because it was like your first show ever. And then it's like at this very killer, like stacked lineup, but then just the logistics of the show, like things were falling apart. Um, so for the uninitiated, can you kind of like share and uh, allude to some of those things uh, fr from your yeah. eyes? Um, you know, obviously the venue was incredible. It was like old school, you know, rural PA VFW, you know, the fluorescent lights, tile floor vibe, good stage. So like the venue was awesome. Mm. Um, I don't think the uh, woman who ran the venue really knew what she was getting herself into prior to okaying the show. Sure. And throughout the whole entire show, it was kind of Bob just trying to like, do damage control with her, like trying to, you know, cause there were multiple times where that show was not going to finish, you know, and then they finally came to an agreement that the show would go on, but no one else would be allowed in, which was kind of, you know, obviously a bummer, you know, because people were traveling and stuff like that to go to this show. Yeah. This was one but, of uh, the first Philly shows back at, at all. I think, I think it was the first Philly show back. Yeah. yeah so uh, if there might've been one beforehand, but yeah, it was the first big one back. So uh, all in all, like with how crazy that woman was acting and, you know, screaming and freaking out and stuff like that, like for Bob to be able to like talk her down and keep the show going. And it ended up, I mean, all things considered that show was incredible, mm. you know? So um, yeah, it ended up, it could have been a lot worse than it was. And, you know, given the circumstances, it ended up still being a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I know. Um, I know Joe Hardcore is definitely a, a guest that I eventually want to get here on the show. Um, but like, I I feel for like people like that that have such an insane level of responsibility. Like, I think any promoter is in kind of that space where it's like, man, I really hope that you are getting some enjoyment out of the show because, right? And and I'm sure that they're putting their enjoyment at very last compared to like the bands the the people that are doing sound and videos and photos the people attending the venue owners and then you know joe and bob at the very bottom yeah it's one of those things that like i feel like it gets overlooked a lot like how much actually goes into booking the show and that's why it's like you know joe and bob they work their asses off you know to keep philly being as awesome as it is Mm. and um you know, it, it's very easy to kind of just overlook the logistics and the stress and, you know, things of that nature that they have to deal with on a regular basis to make these shows happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fact that, you know, both of them just do it, you know, basically at this point, there's multiple shows every single weekend, just it's nonstop. So yeah, they are, uh, they're, they're on one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's awesome. Yeah. So, um, Let's talk about the new record. So No Good at Goodbye is like, as far as the time we're recording this, out for like a week, two weeks, um, has been popping up everywhere. I have multiple re-lessons, especially for myself. So um, like, you know, I want to talk about like specific tracks for itself. And I really like how you guys like, instead of like dumping an entire promo or an, an entire split back onto it, it was more like, one from the EP and one from the split. I really like that. And then uh, doing a little bit of remixing and, you know, um, still keeping it fresh. So talk to me about like, you know, doing an initial EP and then a split and then right into the into the LP. Like, what was the most like the biggest grind um, from 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 your, uh, I guess, uh, responsibility with that record? So to like i'd be lying if i said it was a grind like it so originally when we recorded the the ep mm-hmm. alex from streets of hate put the tape out and then uh sam from triple b was like what well, let me put it on a record and we we're like he said i'll put up I'll, I'll put it on a record he was like just do an lp afterwards and we're like all right whatever you know so uh you know we did uh the ep that came out and then we ended up, uh, Despise hit us up to do a split. And um, that came out on From Within Records. And I love everything that Carter does with From Within. So, yeah. you know, the fact that we could do a record with him was really cool. And um, so we did the split. And then the first time Tyler and Will ever played together, Will flew out here uh, just for a weekend to like practice and maybe get some writing done. And it was actually Xavier's first practice with us as well. And uh, we all went to Xavier's house in Delaware and Will and Tyler went into the basement and they wrote the whole LP in like five hours or something like that. So it's like watching, watching those two, like they're both just so like musically gifted. You would have thought that they've played instruments together every day for like 20 years straight. Like they, and especially with me, cause I don't know how to play instruments. I'm just like looking at them, like look at each other different. And they both knew exactly what they were like trying to get from the other person. Right. It was just, it there was, was some it was telepathic mind, like writing happening. You're like, it was truly insane. Yeah. It was nuts. So then, you know, we got the, the LP done in a day pretty much. And then obviously we made like changes here and there, you know, leading up the recording, but the whole like foundation of it got finished in, in a day. Mm. And then, uh, we booked recording and that was it. As far as me, like lyric writing and stuff, I have so much stuff that I have written already that it was kind of easy for me to just like, you know, take stuff from that and put songs together. And then, uh, you know, we had Mikey, uh, who sings in never ending game had a couple good, like lyric ideas and stuff. So we, you know, I, I love what he does as a lyricist and stuff. So, you know, it's bouncing ideas off him. And, you know, he was definitely a big help too in getting the lyric aspect of the record done. Right. Yeah. So it, it sounded like you just had like, 
like are you writing just a ton of lyrics just like more as like you think of something you write it down you're like keep it away in a, in a notebook until like moments like that or uh, or is it like i'm writing for this song because i i've heard it from different people that some people just like to have this giant catalog of you know different bars or just like cool things that they just think of and they'll do that or they're they're it's better for them to write with some kind of idea of where it's going Right. So like I have like when I sit down and write, I'll have like a certain thing in my mind that I want to write about. Mm. There's a lot of times where like I'll be at work or I'll be driving or like at the grocery store or something. And um, like something will just pop into my head and I'll be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Mm. And I'll just write it in my notes, like in the notes app on my phone or whatever. So I have a bunch of like just different shit scattered, you know, whenever an idea pops in my head, I kind of just jot it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um it, it it's still bananas to me that you guys the wrote pretty much the foundation for that. Um, so the music was written in like five hours a, a day. We'll ju- we'll just round it up to that. So like the lyric side of things, like how much of that is like like time restraining for you, figuring out the flow of things, or was did that all just come very organic organically and naturally as well? Yeah. I mean, you know, as soon as I would hear a song, I'd say, okay, like I would kind of just map, map the lyrics out in my head, you know, like the patterns and stuff like that. And then it's kind of just putting words to patterns, Mm -hmm. you know, it's nothing, nothing too crazy. You know, like I said, I had a lot of stuff already ready to go and it was just kind of molding it to the songs. So it sounded like it made sense. Yeah. How much of, um, cause like, yeah, definitely like hearing a lot of the stuff off the album ties to a lot of the rhythmic side of what Molly's doing. And I think him being in the drum position of the band, but also doing vocals in in another band, I'm sure there's a good kind of back and forth there. So like how much of that was like, were you changing things to match like a drum fill or the, the other way around where he's maybe slightly changing things to, to make a certain line just really flow a lot more nice. Um, it's one of those, like, it would be one of those things where I would go to, I'd have maybe two ideas for, a, for a part. And obviously Tyler being a great frontman lyricist, stuff like that. It, it was easy for me to go to him and be like, Hey, what would you do here? Mm. You know, or how would you position these words or how would you, you know, deliver this line and stuff like that. So, you know, he would, I didn't, I didn't want him to change anything that he did with drums. Like it was just, you know, do your thing and then I'll, you know, alter things the way that I have to, but it was nice having him as a resource, you know, and being able to like bounce ideas off him throughout the recording process to make things make sense. That didn't really, you know, make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Did you, do you find that like sometimes in, because LP is a, a large amount of songs already, but then you guys had like the split and the EP kind of prior. Um, have you been finding that as a lyricist that you have like either go-to words or phrases that you have to check at times to be like, oh, I've already used this multiple times on a song or it's like embedded in a lot in this record and I want to make sure that that's not a quote-unquote word crutch for me um like how do you how do you keep constantly growing and evolving um with you know the amount of words that you're hitting uh from in a dictionary per se (laughs) yeah uh that definitely happens with me like even live like the (laughs) i would like watch the fya video of our set and i'd be like wow i say let's fucking go a lot when we play and like you don't realize you're doing it like you're just doing it subconsciously yeah you know and then that's something that you know you just try to address or you know correct going forward but uh as far as lyrics go yeah there's definitely like phrases and stuff like that that can become pretty repetitive pretty easily you know you you become attached to a certain thing and then you just you know, without even thinking, you just like use it multiple times. So that's why, like, when I wrote the lyrics uh, for the LP or like put together the lyrics for the LP, like I made sure every song, you know, did not have too much overlapping to kind of make each one stick out from one another and not just kind of blend together as like a 20 something minute song. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Um, you you were speaking of the of your guys' FYA live video. I think when I was watching the the Philly barbecue and then like some of the other videos, one thing that I noticed for you performing live is that you are committed to your craft. And I think a lot of uh, vocalists who, who might not even have like a lot of like um, word like soup that they're trying to get through every single word, but they'll like purposely take breaks and like maybe not do a verse or maybe do half of a chorus to catch their breath. So like, ha- has that been like something in your mind? Like I'm not backing down and I'm like, you know, there's, there's obviously like I have to take a breath, so I'm going to skip this. Like, it seems like there's so much meant like mental, like, calculations of like i'm skipping this word but then i'm picking it up here and it's just like it has that always just been natural for you or have you had to build up that uh that muscle um it's one of those like so when we did this like when we started this band the initial thought to myself was i'm too fat and too out of shape to just be screaming every (laughs) single song sure i was like so let's make it a little bit easier on myself so uh like all the lyrics and stuff, it's, I really don't have to yell too much. So it makes it easier for me to say more and do more, Sure, you know, instead of screaming 10 words, I'm kind of more or less rapping 10 words, which it's a lot easier to talk 10 words than to scream 10, mm-hmm. you know? So that was something I definitely kept in mind. And, um, cause even when I would like send the lyrics over to Will, he's, he'd be like, buddy, you're going to have a hard time playing these live, you know? But, um, you know, with, with the way that I'm doing vocals with these songs, it makes it a lot easier to kind of get everything out. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's definitely that, that thing where I've heard bands that have really fast sections, but they're like, they can do it in the studio and it, it in a harsher way, but it's like doing that 30 nights in a row. Like if you're doing a month long tour, it's like, you know, the first 10 days are like kind of good and then it just falls flat. But like, I think going, if, if people want to do that style, like having that stamina, like to maintain that stamina, you need to kind of like compromise in some other areas to make sure that you can do it night after night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when it came to, um, uh, we were talking about, yeah, just like the the writing process, like and and having those um quote unquote like you know crutch words and being like okay like maybe I can reframe this like what has been like because I I wrote some of the my favorite lyrics down for some of the album and like what to you makes like a good bar or like a good series of words like what what are things that you listen or appreciate when you're listening to other artists or lyricists where you're like i can't believe you combined all these words together is it like the is it more of like the word um my boss uses the term like a five dollar word versus like a five cent word so is it like getting the really obscure word to work in a phrase or is it like more of being creative in that. I'm, I'm just kind of curious on, on what you value. I think it's less obscurity and it's something that like, just kind of people can remember, mm. you know, it's like, uh, I grew up listening to a lot of like, or like watching videos of a lot of like battle raps, like in Philly battle rapping was like a huge thing when I was like growing up and like okay. listening to hip hop and stuff like that. And that's all punchlines. So like, obviously I, can't really you know i'm not gonna use a ton of different like punchlines per se in gridiron songs but it's one of those things it's like when you form a bar or something like that at the end of the bar the person listening to it you know like even in a battle rap they're just kind of like damn you know like okay you know it kind of just sticks with them and you know so that's something that i kept in mind while while writing too you know was just trying to like format things and formulate things that at the end of the bar people will remember it because it's you know it's kind of a punchline without being like a joke punchline you know what i mean yeah 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 a a punchline more of like punch being the impact versus like an insult right exactly got you yeah because yeah what am i uh from 25 8 when you said, and I think it's just like, it's very funny because you play on 
the the same word multiple times, but you kind of have like a self-aware ending. Uh, you said, you can't keep chasing what it is that you're chasing, losing pace in the race that you're racing. This shit basically basic. And I just laughed because I thought, like, I imagine you writing like, yeah, this, like, this is basically basic. Um, I, I really like that as well as you saying is a, it's arithmetic bitch because I don't think anyone has plugged in math terminology into a hardcore song ever. <laughs> yeah, there, there might be a couple uh, first time things on this record as far as lyrics go, but yeah, that, that's probably one of them. The, uh, using the word arithmetic. Yeah. Um, but like the, the enunciation of that like under the mic is 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 super juicy has there been any like specific lines that either friends or other people have like reached out to of like this is the hardest shit ever or just like yeah. the most creative shit ever i had a friend I had a friend text me the other day and say he's getting it's arithmetic bitch tattooed <laughs> on his stomach which was funny um yeah i mean obviously the boyer town which is the town that i grew up in and lawyer town uh, rhyming lawyer town with Boyertown's town's kind of dumb, but it worked. Uh, you know, that, that was an idea that Mikey from NEG helped me out with a lot. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there's a couple lines that are just like, you listen to it and you're like, I don't know why this is in here, but it works. Mm -hmm. You know, that seems to kind of be the vibe as far as the lyrics on, on some songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, I love that bands can, can rock where they're from. And hardcore is such a is such a subgenre that like likes to like almost put their scenes and in, in towns and cities on the map. So from from it's Boyer is is where you're yeah. is where you're from. Yeah. So just like here, I'm like me in Canada, I have no record like I there's no need for me to know that, but now I know that through Grid Eye, which is right. just right. such a funny thing. Yeah, I mean, Boyertown, it's like a super tiny town in the suburbs of Philly. Mm. Um, you know, there might be, uh, there's probably like 10,000 people that live there right okay. now at this point. I don't live there anymore, but mm. I live right on the outside of it, um, like in between Philly and Boyertown. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a small town. It's just like uh, two of the guys from Agitator uh, I went to high school with. Mm -hmm. So we're like the only three, like, people who are in bands like Andrews and uh, he plays bass and payback now. And uh, Marty who sang in agitators uh, sings in struck nerve now, mm. but um, you know, we all went to high school together. So it's just kind of us three from Boyertown, but we just punished people so hard <laughs> with Boyertown that now it's like a thing. So, yeah, no, it, it, it's, will there be gridiron Boyertown merch in the future? Uh, maybe at some point I'm not leaving that out of the, I'm definitely not leaving that out of the question for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure some kind of gridiron jerseys will probably come before like the gridiron, like varsity looking like sweat, uh, sweatshirt or something. But, um, that's sick. Um, speaking of merch, you guys did the, the Ford rip shorts, um, <laughs> yeah. which are so sick. Um, I don't know, like, so many bands would do a rip like of a sports team. Um, like my band does a lot of like video game rips, uh, which is a pretty common thing. But I never had thought to do like a car manufacturing company rip. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm I'm just kind of curious off of that. But I do have some follow ups uh, off of uh, that question. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, Will being from Detroit. Ford Field, Detroit Lions, you know, Motor City. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, I guess, for <laughs> us to do it. But yeah, yeah, they they're uh, they're crazy looking shorts. But yeah, yeah, they're awesome. They're funny. Yeah, um, I'm just kind of curious. Like, what do you think is the the other top contender for like a car company hardcore rip? Uh, of it doesn't need to be short, shorts per se, but like, what do you think has like good branding that could you know, someone could wear it and it wouldn't be like, why are you wearing a, a Toyota shirt at a hardcore show? <laughs> I mean, you could do something funny like Saturn. Oh, I think Saturn? it would be funny if a band ripped off like, <laughs> like Saturn for some reason. Right. 
or uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously, if you know Ford's rival is Chevy, so mm. I feel like it needs to be something like that, like yeah, some kind of yeah. company that has a heavy duty kind of truck. I don't know why I'm right. thinking this, but um, at, at the time we're recording this, Karma and Dara on tour, and I saw Aaron was wearing this like really oversized and maybe it over it looks oversized because of the the wide angle phone filter but he was wearing a tesla hat and now that we're having this conversation I'm like is tesla like a company that bands could do a rip of but i feel like they're a little too um controversial as far as like yeah i feel like they're like <laughs> they're probably like they're probably like the most popping car right now you know what i mean so if, if there was a time i guess now would be the time to to do a tesla rip yeah i guess so <laughs> um yeah uh and you guys also have actual gridiron footballs as well yeah 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 we did some footballs uh that was one thing that like started out as a joke and then ended up becoming very real that <laughs> happens a lot with us like we'll like joke about something and we'll be like well wait that might actually be kind of cool so right. yeah we did we did some footballs yeah and those haven't been sold at a show yet it's only been no, a part of the pre-orders. Be. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just a pre-order through Triple B. Yeah, because it would just be hilarious for any of the fests that you guys are playing that just like all these little mini footballs are just being thrown across the room. <laughs> well, I'd be lying if I said we didn't have that idea at some <laughs> point. So <clears throat> um, Maybe because we're talking football and clearly you're a big fan yourself, um, would Philadelphia be the one team that you would – be down to license some kind of gridiron track as like some kind of promotional thing for, for the team, or is there someone else that comes to mind? Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. It would be the Eagles, but Will and I would, would definitely butt heads <laughs> with that because he would, uh, he'd be pushing for the lions and I'd be pushing for the Eagles. But yeah, I mean, you know, if that's something that would happen, that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, let's jump back to, to your lyrics as well. Because I think a lot of things, especially in the vein of music that you guys are playing, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of like, I'm riding, like I'm riding this track, like, like there, there's a certain notion to like this track is about this or this person who's had a shitty take. So do you, when you're writing your stuff, like, are you trying to keep like this song is specifically like to get this um feeling out or is there like different things that you like have have has every song been more of like a person-to-person -person basis or are there certain gridiron songs that you were trying to write that were more broad uh broader topics i should say there's songs that are about like specific things like a specific person or situation or things like that but then there's also songs about like bro like things that I feel are important mm. like the song brothers in arms, you know, on the new record, that's just about your boys being there for you. You mm. know, that's like kind of an important thing to me. So, mm. you know, that's what that song was about. So, yeah, I think it, you know, I kind of go on both ends, you know, there's songs that are very specific and, you know, topic centric. And then there's other ones that are just extremely broad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it, it's not to say that, um, if you're if you're writing a song about brotherhood, you can't have a line that's like a nod to a specific uh, experience in in your life with that. Um, exactly. But like, yeah. you know, still keeping to that. Versus like, this right. song is specifically about, um, you know, my experience with sh shitty said individual or whatever. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever gotten to play a certain song that you've written about us? A, about a person and that person is in the room no okay no unfortunately not <laughs> but there was a i mean one one song one song is about ben simmons who was a basketball player here so oh, okay. he pissed he pissed me off he pissed me off enough to write a song about him so i hope he hears it oh wow i've i don't think i've ever heard from someone that a hardcore song is written about an athlete. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm that pathetic of a sports <laughs> fan that it made me that mad. So what what did he do that upset you so much? So basically, he like forced his way out of Philadelphia and um, basically like turned his back on the fans, blamed the fans, 
for his issues. Like he like refused to show up. And then when he showed up, he was more of a problem. And he was supposed to be like one of the cornerstone pieces of the Sixers, like core, you know, nucleus to win a championship. And, uh, you know, he ended up just kind of like saying, fuck you to the fans, the city, his teammates and stuff like that. And now he's in Brooklyn. Uh, so he's gone now, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the whole situation here, it's all you would hear about is just people. There's no, there's no athlete in Philadelphia that's hated more than Ben Simmons. Okay. So, you know, if, if my band is ever playing Philly and I need to say something to rile up the crowd, I'd be like, yo, this song <laughs> is dedicated to Ben Simmons. Fuck you. And then people would be like, oh, okay. They get oh, it. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'll get it. You'll get a standing ovation. You'll probably get carried out of the venue <laughs> on people's shoulders. So. Sell out of all the merch. Um, <laughs> yep. That's so funny. Um, yeah, like I only ask, and this has been one of my favorite moments from this fest, but I was filming a fest in uh, in Tulsa, and uh, there was a band. I'll, I'll keep the names out of it, but there was a band that was playing their very last show, and the singer, like, he said something to the effect of, it's always every band... It's every vocalist's dream to to play a song that they wrote about someone and they're in the room and just proceeded to call that person out and and it was like it was like their last show so he like could give no fucks and so right, it was just right. like and I was like man like I'm removed from this situation but like respect for like owning that and saying it with your chest so, yeah yeah <laughs> not yeah, to say that crazy. you have to do it yeah. per se but I just think it's it's right. pretty funny to be able to be like. Um, I think it would just be embarrassing if someone's coming up to grab the mic and you're like, I wrote this about you. And it's like, yeah, it's not a nice song. <laughs> yeah. Well, if Ben Simmons is ever at a gridiron show, I will let him know that the song's about him. So. <laughs> I, I hope to see that one day. Um, well, Matt, we're kind of getting towards the end here. Um, you know, it's been re- really fun to talk to you and uh, yeah, like big gridiron fan i'm stoked to see you guys and and play with you guys and and film you guys there's there's gonna be a lot of going on um one of the last questions that i ask everyone here on the podcast is a favorite mosh related story that they would like to share so that could be anything that's first to your mind that could be something that happened to you something that you did uh something that happened at a gridiron show or any other show in your past um that's how we start to head towards the close um well, this one, all right, so at the Unity Barbecue, our first show, um, when we were playing uh, the one mosh part in uh, Ain't Turn Mine towards the end of the song, Jake, our bassist, took his bass off, set it on the ground, jumped off stage, and started moshing, which was pretty funny. Yes. That that's definitely that was definitely pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one of my favorite like live things that I've seen this <laughs> last year (laughs) yeah Um, i had to i it was really hard to keep my composure for the rest of the song after seeing that i want i had tears in my eyes from laughing so hard though well at at the very least that was during um when the vocalist of one-on-one was um coming up and doing his part was that right okay so at least you were like i'm trying to say 10 words right a a second yeah i'm like on the side (laughs) like just dying right um oh I had one more question I did want to get to before uh, we start to wrap up. When you guys did your countdown for the record, you used a lot of like different food and beverage for the, you know, four days left was with French fries and ketchup packets. Um, You know, it makes sense now because like when it was the last day, you had a single can of Diet Coke. Right. Was that all you or was that like, uh, was that something that was like, this is what we're doing or it's like, oh, we should do something to I mean, it literally was like, Will was like, as a joke, like, should we start a countdown? And, you know, obviously we're like, ah, I don't know. And then Will sent the picture of the French fries. Will was the <laughs> photographer behind all those artistic masterpieces of food. And uh, he sent the picture of the French fries. And it was just like, okay, this is too funny, not the post. And it, I thought it was funny that we started at four days. Like we started counting down at four days <laughs> instead yeah. of like 10 or five. Um but yeah, so that was it. There wasn't much thought that went. I into just it. imagine it just him funny. eating, and he's got like the bag fries, like the fries that fell out of the container, and they're at the bottom yep. of the bag. Dumps them out. I can make a four out of this. Takes the picture. I just post yep. that. I picture him with like with like an easel and like tweezers, like strategically 
putting the fries in the right position. Right. And then it, I think day, day, uh, three days left was a bunch of Reese's peanut butter cups upside down. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that was like leftover, like, I don't know, Halloween candy he had or yeah. something. I don't, I feel like he was digging deep in the, uh, in the pantry to find stuff to <laughs> yeah. uh, make numbers with. Yeah. And then day two was like a, uh, a plethora of different, uh, aluminum cans of some beverage. And then last one, it obviously, was, uh, it, it was, was natural. Tackle. Yeah, day two, uh, I think he had people over to watch March Madness, and uh, someone left a cans of Natty Light beer in the basement, so he just used that, which is like the cheapest, worst. It's like drinking gasoline. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, you know, day one day left was the old DC. As long as you're ending with the DC, I, I think that's the the move. I, I hope more bands do funny shit like that, where it's like, this would this actually helps you remind you of like we have a record coming out, but it's done in a very like just like stripped down hardcore way of like right. here's some French right. fries to let you know that I have a record coming out. Right. <laughs> uh, well, Matt, this has been really fun, dude. Um, really excited to see you play. Uh, anybody that you want to shout out, anything that you want to plug, or anything that you want to send the people off with before we wrap up the show, the floor is yours. Yeah, um, I definitely want to shout out everyone uh, that had a part in making the record come together. Uh, you know, God's Hate, Mind Force, Pain of Truth, uh, Philly Hardcore, Bob Wilson, Rebirth Records, Streets of Hate, Days, uh, From Within, Triple B. They're all labels right now that are just doing insanely cool shit with hardcore. Um, we have a record release show coming up in two Sundays or two Saturday. Yeah. Two Saturdays. Sorry. Yeah. April 9th. And that's, uh, in Phoenixville PA, which is like the suburbs of Philly. And that's with, uh, tsunami invoke Queensway division of mind carried by six. And then, uh, the following Friday, we have a record release out in Detroit with, uh, internal bleeding, which is real. I'm really psyched for. I love that band pain of truce playing that. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. C4. Uh, also, you know, Joe hardcore and everything he does for Philly and stuff like that's real important, you know, to keep things fresh and keep things going. And he, you know, is a huge, him and Bob are a huge part in, you know, making that happen. And, uh, you know, all the Philly hardcore bands, you know, carried by six struck nerve, uh, statement of pride an awesome new band, yeah, uh, that Carter fronts from yeah. Florida. They're awesome. Uh, I could just keep going on. There's so many good bands. Tsunami, you know, you name it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'll, I'll definitely, this episode, I'll, I'll make sure that's dropping uh, super close to your guys' um, uh, record release show. So it's super, super timely. Um, definitely go check that out if you're in the area. Um, really excited uh, for Gridiron to be making their Canadian debut in Toronto. Yeah, uh, yeah. September. I don't even have a passport yet, bro. <laughs> I got I to gotta get Something on Something you got to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I'd never leave Boyertown but. <laughs> from Boyertown to Toronto. Um, mm -hmm. uh, well, dude, I, I'm very excited to link up. Uh, it should be a good time and I'll make sure that I'll bring some Diet Coke for you. Yeah, man. Thanks so much. I can't wait. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.